Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast, the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Online, on DAB and on the talk radio app. Talk Radio. Uh, right now, let's uh, welcome Labour's Shadow Health Secretary, uh, Jonathan Ashworth, to the show. Good morning to you, Jonathan. Morning. Good morning. Well, before we go talk about things back home, I'm, I'm sure you'd like to give your reaction to that extraordinary blast in Beirut. 100 dead, 4,000 injured uh, from the blast. Uh, still question marks about what the cause was, but obviously lots of calls for international aid, international help for the people of Beirut. What was your first thought when you saw that extraordinary footage? Uh, when I saw it on Twitter last night, I just thought it was absolutely horrific. Uh, and obviously, you know, we shouldn't speculate about what, what caused it. But immediately you just, I mean, it was just shocking, wasn't it? And then your immediate thoughts are for the people who will have been affected by it. Obviously, people have died by it. A lot of other people seriously injured by it. Uh, you know, your heart goes out for the people who lived in that area. Absolutely shocking. And uh, your point about aid, well, I mean, we are, as a nation, have uh, uh, always stepped up and provided aid to other countries in need. We've done that for throughout our history, and I'm sure that our uh, foreign ministers, our DFID ministers, will be looking at an appropriate response. But, yeah, I mean, our heart really does go out to everybody. Absolutely. Well, of course, the people of Beirut are dealing with that uh, after dealing with the uh, pandemic, the coronavirus, and, of course, the um, economic devastation of the lockdown. We're dealing with that right now as well. Um, your party leader, Keir Starmer, is on the front of The Guardian today talking about how the country or the government needs to fix virus testing, the, the test, track and trace system or face a long, bleak winter ahead uh, to uh, possibly face a second wave. Um, what do you think is the number one priority, what, what the government should be doing right now to actually fix that system? Well, we've got to use this August, or the government have got to use this August, uh, to fix the system. It is critical now. Usually August is a quiet time in politics, as you know, Julie. But, <laughs> I, but, remember. But, I can't remember one of those quiet Augusts for quite a few <laughs> years now, I'm afraid. But this is, this is not a time for... Boris Johnson to be putting his feet up and uh, uh, watching box sets on Netflix. He's got to be getting this test and trace system fixed. We heard from uh, a bunch of professors yesterday writing in The Lancet, that's the medical journal for the experts, saying that if testing and tracing isn't fixed, 
we could be facing a devastating second wave by December uh, and it would call into question whether we can get our children back into school. Now, I agree, children getting back into school this September has to be our absolute national priorities. The, the long-term implications of children not being in school is potentially devastating for them and their life chances. So we've got to get children back into school, but we won't be able to do it unless we're doing more mass testing, testing of... Uh, people whether you've got symptoms or not including care home residents and care home staff the government was supposed to be doing that they've had to delay it Uh, and more tracing of people and giving people the support that if they're asked to isolate that they actually do isolate and they've got the support to do so because there's lots of people in poorer areas and, and you see in the figures that the infection rates are going up in poorer areas and there is a suggestion or the experts think that this is because a lot of the time people are asked to isolate who simply cannot afford to do so because of insecure work that they're in and this that, is an issue yeah we, we raised this with the government minister only yesterday that you know it, lots of people I, thought, I and i've got a lot of sympathy for those people i really do i don't think we can just say oh well you know you're crazy why aren't you uh, self-isolating you know if you're if you're on a zero hours contract you're just paid by the day paid by the hour you're not even entitled to sick pay because you're not sick what on earth are you expected to live on while you're doing what is effectively a good deed for everyone else absolutely and don't forget some of these people may not be ill yeah because you're asked to isolate because you've been in contact with somebody who is ill well that doesn't necessarily mean that you have got the virus but you're asked to isolate in case you've got the virus because we need to break the chains of transmission but there'll be lots of people who'll be sat at home feeling fine losing wages yep. thinking about how they're going to pay the bills how they're going to put food on the table how they you know how they're going to pay the gas and electric bill and thinking well you know uh, you know, sod this for a game of soldiers. So that's why we need to make sure that people have proper financial support to isolate. Otherwise, you're never going to get on top of this virus when we know so much of it spreads through asymptomatic transmission. People who don't have symptoms yeah. passing it on. And, and what, what have you identified as the issue with the test and trace system? Now, Dido Harding, who runs that system, she uh, uh, says that actually they are they are hitting their targets because we know this 80% target is not being reached in recent weeks. And we know we bought, I think it's 68%. If you fall below a certain level, then it, it just you, you're not stopping the exponential growth uh, of that R rate, uh, that reproduction rate, and, and there are crucial numbers there. What, what do you think the issue is? Is it that people are not giving their details is it that it's just a hopeless system we heard early on you know they were calling from a withheld number the people doing the track and trace you call from a withheld number people just think it's someone trying to cold call them so they don't bother answering they don't leave phone messages even if they did there's no number for people to call back on or or do you think that people are not giving their details they're they're not answering the phone because they don't want to for financial reasons or other to actually have to self-isolate what do you think the crucial issue is well at the moment you're being rang up now from an 0300 number well, again, I think that's a bit like the withheld number. I mean, I don't know about you, Julie, but if I see an L300 number come on my phone, I don't answer it. So there's, there's, that's probably part of it. Secondly, uh, uh, it's, it's from a national call centre ran by Circa. Well, I just think it'd be much more effective, and some of the statistics show this as it happens, that if you give the information to the local experts on the ground, the local directors of public health and their teams, they can go directly to people in a local area and talk to them about uh, getting a test, talk to them about isolating, and they can usually contact these people. So I think it's now better if the local areas are in the lead on this 
And you've actually got some councils like Blackburn and Sanwell and one or two others now just saying, you know what, we're going to set up our own local system because we think that would be a much more effective way of doing this. Yeah, yeah and I think a lot of people are all going to understand that that, that is uh, what people are going to want to do. Um, in, in terms of uh, this fear of a second wave, now uh, we actually look at the figures. We're looking at 2% of all deaths uh, at the moment in the, in the, across England are, are from coronavirus. Um, an awful lot of people now are saying, look, why are we locking down our economy? Why are we stopping kids going back to school? Why are we dealing with all these issues uh, when we've got, say, a 40% increase in heart attacks, people not getting cancer treatment? Are we focusing too much on a virus which hasn't turned out, although we've had more deaths than anyone would ever have wanted and may, perhaps many deaths more than we should have had, but it hasn't actually turned out to be the mass, mass killer uh, that many had thought it would be. Are we overreacting? Well, you know, I never, I never like to disagree with you, as you know, Julia, but I mean, I do, I do slightly disagree with you. We've got the highest death rate in Europe, 45,000 people, well, over 45,000 people died. That's an incomprehensible level uh, of deaths, each death leaving behind. Well, it's not it's not an incomprehensible level. I mean, 1,600 people die every day in this country in a normal average day. Uh, we were too slow into locking down we made the government made uh, mistakes early on which has led to this high death rate and for people who survived they also survived now we a proportion of them survive with significant long-term illnesses and conditions as well but the the vast majority of people who get coronavirus don't even know they've got it and the and the vast majority of people who do have symptoms have symptoms like me where they feel a bit rotten uh, and i was feeling pretty unwell but you know nothing extraordinary uh, for a few weeks um that there are just an awful lot of people just saying that maybe we have overreacted. I was in favour of the lockdown. I was in favour of the measures. I don't. But maybe we have just directly said we're going to have to. We're not going to get a vaccine in the next couple of months. We're going to have to get back to some semblance of normal life. Have we overreacted? No, I don't think that. I think mean, I think this virus is deadly. We've got the highest death rate in Europe, and people. A lot of people who survive. Take the point that maybe not, maybe not usually, but a lot of people who survive uh, have still got long-term conditions. A very small we... percentage of those who've survived. Yeah, but, but those people are not able to go back to work. Those people now have. Well, to neither of the four, neither the people who died of heart attacks, which are up forty percent because of the well, way I, the health I, service and the government decided to run our health service during the well, period. I agree. I mean, I agree with you on that point. It's not an either or. I mean, well, it is. So- no, that's the whole point. It was, wasn't I mean, it? Having a lockdown and, and turning all our hospitals into into sort of mini Nightingale hospitals has meant that people have not been treated for other things. More people, the death toll is very sad and horrific. However, more people will end up dying of cancer and heart attacks than they will of coronavirus. Yeah, and, and, and so one of the challenges for this winter now is to how you reorientate your National Health Service. Because, all right, all right you're, you're right. The National Health Service for, throughout the lockdown became the National COVID Service in many circumstances, right? And there were people who, having with heart disease, who weren't getting treated. Uh, cancer diagnosis was uh, delayed. So there's people who've probably got a t- cancer who didn't get it diagnosed and, and didn't get the treatment on time. And of course, lockdown has probably created long-term mental health problems for many, many people as well. So what you've now got to do, you've got to rebuild your NHS so it can treat those people with heart disease, with stroke, with cancer and so on, and treat COVID. That's a big logistical operation, but that is the challenge now for the National Health Service. Because at the moment, we're probably going to have waiting lists at 10 million by the end of the year. That is a huge numbers of people waiting for an operation in pain and agony. Online. On DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. It's that time of the year. 
Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Well, schools are a very big issue at the moment as we look at schools returning uh, in September, uh, ready for people to go back to full-time lessons, primary school, secondary school, uh, across England. Of course, uh, already we're looking at much closer return as early as next week uh, for the start of schools returning in Scotland. Very different term times up in Scotland than in the rest of the country. Uh, but the question is, will we be seeing schools return if there is this fear of a second wave? Well, the Children's Commissioner for England, Anne Longfield, has said that, well, if there happen to be... Uh, uh, trade-offs that have to be made to get schools open, then so be it. If that means closing pubs again, that means closing non-essential shops, then let's do that to get kids back in the classroom. Well, let's talk to the Children's Commissioner about that right now. Uh, good morning to you, Anne Longfield. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. I, I think you're echoing what an awful lot of parents are saying. We're trying to get people back to some semblance of normal life in, in a safe way, a COVID-safe way, uh, but an awful lot of parents simply can't get back to work while their kids are still off school, and everyone really frantic with worry that children are missing out on well in six months of education so far well that's right i mean you know the virus isn't going to go away um we have to manage it we have to adapt and schools reopening in september is a big step in that direction now i've been really pleased that government has made a commitment to that they say you know full-time education from september uh, whatever it takes and there's cross-party support for that but what I'm really concerned about as well obviously I need to see that through and we need the the kind of track and taste tra uh, tracing around it but what I'm really concerned about what happens if there's future lockdowns be they local or national and I want us to learn from what's happened in the first six months and actually make schools a priority so they're the last doors to close and the first doors to open if decisions need to be made. Um, well, I mean, and this is the thing, isn't it, is that we saw schools close. Uh, actually, we know, you know, against what the government wanted to do, that an awful lot of schools had to close uh, back at the beginning of this, this pandemic, simply because parents wouldn't send their children into school. But the evidence is really very clear now from around the world that actually uh, schools were the safest places for young people to be. Uh, no examples of teachers being infected by pupils. Uh, and uh, when you see uh, any infection, people could be locked down in, in bubbles or the like. The concern then comes down 
down to really if we're getting rational as opposed to just people fearful of leaving their homes at all, um, which according to the teaching, some teaching union seems to be the case. We're down to the test, track and trace system. And there are a lot of concerns that we haven't got it up to speed enough that we can make sure that everyone is safe in our schools. Should that be the number one priority for getting schools reopening right now? Well, for government, that has to be a huge priority and it has to get better. Um, and there's five weeks to do so. Um, there's also a job to be done, of course, to reassure parents and children that schools are safe. Teachers have been working tirelessly to get the school set up in a way that can manage infection um, outbreaks and keep uh, the environment healthy. But that track and trace system is absolutely vital and that needs to be as absolutely top priority to get those schools open Uh, but they must open that has to be the case it has to be can do and it has to open and we now need to prepare for any future scenario well that's it i mean again it's simple stats you're more likely to be hit by a car on the way to school than you are to get a coronavirus and die of it uh, in the school but more likely to be hit by lightning whilst in a car on the way to school uh, than to catch coronavirus and, and die of it uh, apart from for the obviously more elderly or more physically vulnerable teachers who understandably uh, won't be able to go back in the classroom but let's talk about what we do know and that is how damaging it is for children not to be in school. Your responsibility as the Children's Commissioner for England is about the the long-term mental and physical needs of children. Tell us about some of the absolutely factually known costs of children not being at school. Well, they've been out of school in what has been one of the biggest disruptions in schooling since World War II. By September, for most children, about 8 million children, that will be uh, six months, Um, Most children um, have been having some form of home home learning, but many haven't have struggled with that. Um, Up to two million haven't been learning at home and about a million haven't had the tech to get online. So that's six months without any of that interaction really with education. Um, We know as well that it's been the most disadvantaged kids that will be put further behind during this period. And of course, children's mental health and well-being is one which without their interaction with peers and without the structure of school has plummeted for many children. So this is something which isn't a nice to have. It's absolutely essential, not only for kids to get back on their feet and they haven't been the number one priority during the first six months. Part of my argument is they should be going forward. Get them kids back on their feet, get them catching up in their learning, but also give them that help and support to deal with what has been a huge shock for everyone. But for children making sense of it, it's something which is an absolutely enormous uh, 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 thing in their lives. I have a funny feeling, and again, maybe that's just a week. My daughter's been very lucky; she's had Zoom lessons throughout. We've been busy working, getting on with it, and uh, um, she's a largely happy kid anyway. But um, it seems to me, you know, it's there are a few miserable days. We're missing friends and missing school life, and you know, playing netball and things like that. But largely, being able to look at it as, look, we're we're very lucky. We've got a happy family. We're all safe and healthy, and it's got a roof over our heads. It, it, this will pass. This will be a long distance memory, and something we all talk about and joke about in the future but that's not the reality is it for a lot of children who for whom school and I've got members of my own family for whom this was the case for them school was their escape from very very difficult uh, home life and 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 school is a is a lifeline for those children and their education is a lifeline to a better normal life in the future 
That's right. So um, there'll be really different experiences of that. You know, if this has been about having more time with parents, which is something that often children crave in this busy world, then it's been a great time, especially if there's a, you know, you've got plenty of room and outside space. But for those kids that are stuck in a very overcramped flat, for those that actually may be a homeless and sofa surfing with their parents, uh, for those that have got really fragile environments, we've seen um, uh, domestic violence rising during this period there'll be many children who were vulnerable going into the pandemic that are much much more vulnerable now for them this has been a period which has been a disaster in their childhood and getting them back into school will mean that they not only have the structure of school and that lifeline but also those trusted adults there who can see when things are going wrong because what we've seen is uh, referrals to social services and those that can help plummet during this crisis so they aren't getting the help because they aren't being picked up so this will be very different they'll need help to get back into school they'll need mental health support and pastoral care in school but also we know we know there's a recession on its way we want all kids to have as much resilience as they can and many schools as they can to be able to manage their their time through that and get ahead yeah if they think now the danger is that, you know, in five years time, there's a generation of kids that have much poorer prospect because we didn't plan properly. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Well, let's talk about a uh, uh, loss of life in Beirut yesterday. More than 100 dead, two, sorry, 4,000 now believed to be injured from an extraordinary blast, uh, a massive blast at the port there uh, in the Lebanese capital. Every window for 15 miles was blown out. Homes and uh, many properties destroyed around the entire city, including the home of my next guest, Richard Spencer. He's the Middle Eastern correspondent for The Times. And uh, Richard, uh, you were among the many, many tens of thousands who saw your home destroyed by the explosion. Just tell us what happened to you. Uh, well, I was uh, sitting at my desk at about six o'clock last night. I was just uh, literally pressing send on some copy that I was sending back to the Times, and there was a there was a massive sound outside. There was a kind of a, it was a kind of a, it, was, it was like an explosion. It wasn't quite like an explosion. Um, and so I stood up to look at the. Uh, Look out the window, oh, and then there was another explosion. Richard, can I can I just stop you? There was quite a lot of noise. I think whether the phone being moved, or you're in the wind, or not. But just we could just try and cut down on that background no, no, noise. It'd I'm, be very I'm, helpful. I'm right. I, I'm actually you 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 call me just as I've uh, I'm standing by the scene by the port now, right. which is where the explosion was. So yeah, I'm afraid you're just hearing the emergency vehicles and the uh, the police vehicles and all the uh, uh, all the traffic as well going past. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's much I can no, do. No, no, of course, that. no, of course. No, um, and, no, I think it might be the wind from the port. But so, so you just you, you heard this explosion, but it didn't sound like an explosion. And 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 are you very close to the port, or were you one of the many homes miles and miles away that was affected? Yeah, I'm about three quarters of a mile away. Uh, but the thing is, uh, the, the the geography of Beirut um, makes this uh, makes this an extraordinary incident because. From the port, the hills rise up straight into the city. So I'm only three quarters of a mile away, but my flat looks right down over the port. I can see the port from my flat. And, uh, and that's true for half the city. Sort of, it's, it's, it's like a, a bowl around the, around the, around the seafront and the, and the port. And uh, we were just completely taken out. I mean, it's an enormous uh, explosion. I was thrown right across my room uh, by the blast wave. Um, and... Uh, and that was true for many, many of my friends. Um, uh, some have injuries. Uh, I came out and there were 
streets were flooding with people with blood coming down their faces from from flying glass, uh, as well as, of course, many people much more seriously injured. And as we know now, scores of people dead. Yeah, indeed. Um, and do we know yet what the cause of that explosion was? There was the uh, obviously an immediate uh, thought that it might be a, a, a bomb attack. Even Donald Trump this morning, uh, well, overnight has been talking about a terrible attack, a bomb of some kind. But I, I believe that seems to be uh, dispelled. Certainly Israel has said nothing to do with them. Um, but there was some talk about a fireworks storage facility, which seemed pretty unlikely. What's the latest uh, explanation? Well, what we certainly know, I think we're fairly confident now that the main blast, the the extraordinary sort of mushroom cloud that people maybe have seen uh, the videos of, was caused by uh, ammonium nitrate, which is, you know, that uh, chemical that's used both in fertilizer and uh, bombs, uh, homemade bombs. And uh, the government have said that uh, 2,700 tons of uh, this stuff was being stored in a warehouse at the port, having been impounded several years ago. And that was somehow let off. Um, and it appears that the first explosion, uh, which is the thing that people are saying, maybe that was fireworks, because on videos it looks like sort of fireworks, but uh, maybe the first explosion set off the ammonium nitrate. But what we don't know is what the first explosion was. Uh, fireworks seems a bit unlikely. Uh, yeah, it does certainly, doesn't it? And um, we've been spoken to some military experts who, who seem to think that uh, uh, this uh, um, that is rather unlikely that this wasn't some sort of um, explosive, which would, everyone would have known was an explosive. Do you think we're likely to get a, an, an open and honest explanation uh, from the authorities in Beirut? Well, I say I think the I think the the, the explanation for the main explosion is now I, I I see no reason to doubt their account. That I mean I'm not an expert on on explosives, but if you have two thousand seven hundred tons, as they say, of ammonium nitrate, if that explodes, that's what you're going to see. I mean, for comparison, uh, I don't know if you remember the Oklahoma bombing uh, twenty five uh, or so years ago. Um, that was caused by two tons of ammonium nitrate, and that was a pretty heavy bomb. So you're, you're talking about something that's one and a half thousand times the scale of that. Um, I, in terms of what, what set it off, uh, that's another question, and that's, that's going to be much harder to determine, I think, for all of us. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.